You're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Psychiatric disorders are a very common problem in primary care. How do you know when to medicate and when to refer? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is nurse practitioner Brian Decker. Welcome. Thank you. Brian, what factors do you consider when choosing whether or not to medicate psychiatric problems? There are several factors. I discuss them uh, psychosocial, situational, and neurochemical. When I see a patient, I look at these three aspects in order to understand what level of intervention is necessary for that patient. Now, depending on the level of depression, there, there may need to be some immediate intervention that happens if, if someone tends to be suicidal or wanting to cause self-harm. Uh, it's important to immediately, without question, refer and get them into a safe uh, environment so that they can be uh, protected until the depression is treated. Starting with psychosocial. Psychosocial involves environment, work, family, relationships, and these avenues can trigger and often do cause symptoms of depression to exacerbate. So it's important to do a good psychosocial assessment on a patient to find out if there's areas within this realm that can be addressed, and as they're addressed, will that help with the depression? So I don't immediately jump to prescribing an antidepressant for an individual that comes in with symptoms of depression. I look at some of the background, the environment that they're in, and and what is the possibility that it can be treated based on, on that particular part of it. Situational, if somebody comes in and they say they're very sad because their, their uncle just died, they were very close to their uncle, that is a situational component. Is it worthwhile to put somebody on an antidepressant that is going through a grief reaction? Depends on the level of depression that they have and what their history is, but it, not normally would I do that. If they've not had depression before and they come in with a grief reaction, I, I would not just put them on an antidepressant and start treating them. I would um, maybe refer them out for counseling, some grief counseling to get through those issues in more of a, you know, a natural way. And then finally is the neurochemical aspect that it can be very complicated, but at the same time is very simple, at least in the way I look at it. You have to address what the symptoms are with the depression. Do they have excessive fatigue or are they very excitable, agitated, anxious? Looking at the different symptoms of the depression helps me to understand what might be the best way to treat the depression with medication. Let's talk a little bit more about neurochemistry. How do you incorporate that into your decision-making? The different neurochemicals, and Dr. Lund, you were one of the ones that actually explained this in a very simplistic manner so that I could uh, get a good grasp on it when you did a presentation for one of the, uh, one of the medications here in Idaho Falls, you know, talking about the reward pathways, and you spoke about stepping on the gas or stepping on the brake. I really liked that analogy because it helped me to understand when I'm looking at symptoms of depression, if we're looking at, at dopamine receptors that, that may be causing problems or, or serotonin receptors or, or norepinephrine receptors, each of those impact a person's mood and energy level in different ways. So how does that inform your decision about which medication you might use? Well, if I have a patient that, that comes in and they are feeling quite anxious all the time, they they have an overwhelming depression, but they may not be sleeping at night. They may have anxious thoughts and maybe have a sense of impending doom that is not helping them to get rest that they need. I would go to one of the more uh, serotonin-type medications that, that tends to 
uh, in my experience anyway, tends to be more calming in its influence. Something like uh, Lexapro uh, comes to mind as far as being effective against treating, at least I found it to be effective for anxiety. If they don't have anxiety and they're stating that they you know, just feel fatigued all the time, they can't get out of bed in the morning, I might go to one of the more dopamine-active uh, Wellbutrin. That, I think that tends to work more on dopamine receptors to give them a little more energy. It helps them to wake up. I don't often use medications that have a norepinephrine effect or a dopamine effect on individuals that have anxiety because I, it's been my experience that tends to agitate their anxiety a little bit. Just to recap what you've said, so you try to kind of figure out if they need something a little bit more sedating or calming or, or a bit more energizing, and that may be the first step in determining a medicine. Right, right. And, and that's where I say that it can be relatively simple. If you look at the actual brain chemistry, it tends to be quite complicated. And and, and most patients don't want to hear about that. They want to hear the simple analogy of this is going to calm you down a little bit or this is going to help you feel a little more energy. With all of the increased warning and liability about prescribing antidepressants, how quickly do you follow up once you do decide to give a prescription? So I follow the guidelines for um, adolescents, and now it's been extended uh, is it through 24, the black box warning for um, suicide. I follow those guidelines fairly exclusively. I, I follow up weekly with, with adolescents and young adults for at least a month, sometimes two months, depending on what their response is. I involve family members and I involve their support network in looking for signs and symptoms of worsening depression or, or suicidal behavior. Um, I'm also very careful to do an informed consent prior to prescribing, especially the serotonin antidepressant. I explained to people in writing the specific dangers associated with antidepressants and, and the increased risk of suicide so that they understand that it's not just like they're taking a Tylenol because they have a headache. There are always potential risks associated with taking medications, especially medications that have psychotropic actions. And it's important as a provider that I let patients know it's not a magic pill. It's not a happy pill. It's, it's a pill, it's a medication that changes brain chemistry, and this change in brain chemistry can cause significant problems, and they need to be aware of it up front. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Idaho Falls nurse practitioner Brian Decker. We are discussing when to medicate psychiatric disorders when you're not a psychiatrist. Brian, what happens if you decide that you may be over your head, if you need to refer the patient? How does that process work in your practice? Well, first of all, I have to find somebody that's willing to take the patient. The issue that I run into, let's say there, there's a patient who has a significant amount of anxiety and they just aren't responding to the standard type of treatment that would be done for anxiety. And I want to refer. The first thing that I do is I call some of the psychiatrists that I know here locally. And there, there are at least three that will pick up the phone and talk to me and discuss different cases. One physician in particular I have called in the middle of a particular crisis. I had an elderly lady who showed up on the doorstep just angry and agitated and very profane, came back into my office and, and essentially started uh, tearing my office apart. Oh, my. <laughs> I'd say refer that patient. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, well, I did with the help of the local um, law enforcement agency. 
But I actually spoke with the psychiatrist while this was going on because I had not, number one, come up against a problem like this, and number two, I had no no idea what the ethics and, and what was involved in protecting this patient. And that's where I essentially did call the ambulance and, and law enforcement. She was subsequently put in the local uh, psychiatric institution for stabilization. But that's the first step, is to pick up the phone and, and to talk to somebody about what's going on. Fortunately, I haven't had that happen too often. If I have a patient who, as you say, I feel I'm getting over my head with, I will let them know, along with their case management person, a great number of my patients have case managers, and I will say what I need to do, there's, there's a couple of options. Uh, I need to have this patient be seen by a specialist, and I try and do just a one-time consulting visit with a psychiatrist, and that tends to work because they can give me some feedback on whether or not this is the right direction I'm going or some ideas on, you know, maybe I misdiagnosed the problem and I need to change and go a whole different route. That's happened a couple of times. So how do you present that to the patient without them losing confidence in you? My experience has been that they don't lose confidence when you're honest about your abilities. And my primary goal is that they get the treatment. And so if that means that they end up seeing someone else to give their care, that's probably the best for everyone. It's not happened that people have just um, left the practice because I've referred them for a consult. If you've just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt, your host, and with me today is Idaho Falls nurse practitioner Brian Decker. We are discussing when to medicate psychiatric disorders when you're not a psychiatrist. I agree. You know, I I often say, hey, two heads are better than one, and I can use all the help I can get, and the goal is to make you you better. Yes, approached from that point of view, people are very um, accepting of that. The other thing I would add is that often in our practice, we have several nurse practitioners that we work with in primary care, and we've developed relationships where, you know, they feel fine to call us just for kind of a curbside consult and not necessarily that we even need to see the patient, but just give them some extra ideas about what to do. Well, and I do that with other aspects of my practice, too, with uh, OBGYN, certain hematology things. If I get a lab back that I just have no clue where it's going, I, I can call up specialists and say, what do you think? I think psychiatric referrals sometimes though take a special finesse because especially when you're treating them in primary care, the patient thinks, oh, you know, you think it's all in my head. So how do you handle that? Well, I actually tell them that uh, it is, but that's okay because it's the same as somebody that has diabetes. It's all in their pancreas. The brain is an organ and the brain can have dysfunction just like any organ in the body. And it's even worse for an individual with a psychiatric disorder because that dysfunction of the brain causes other physical and emotional symptoms that people that may have other organ dysfunction don't experience. So I I really try and point out to the patient that it's not just this abstract thing that doesn't exist, that you're just imagining. It's it's an actual real disorder that uh, needs to be treated just like any other physical disorder. Great. That's very helpful. Now, how do you decide any other sort of criteria for when to refer a patient out that that you can't handle them in a family practice setting? I refer patients out if they come to me on on so many different medications that there's just not any place to start. If they come to me on 10 to 15 different medications, half of which may be psychotropic medications, that's just not manageable in an outpatient setting, in my opinion. 
it's something that has to be dealt with and the patient needs to be monitored, which opens up a whole different uh, referral process, which also is very difficult to, to make happen, but trying to withdraw patients from these medications. I refer patients out that have issues with addictions that need to be withdrawn either with the Suboxone uh, protocol for opiates or um, if they're alcoholic um, withdrawals that they just can't stay off of alcohol for an outpatient detox, then I refer out for, for those kinds of things also. I want to thank our guest today, Brian Decker. We have been discussing when to medicate and when to refer psychiatric problems to a psychiatrist. I'm Dr. Leslie Lunt. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your emails to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.